0: This show is a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. Paul and Michael, occasionally save the ah, world. Paul and Michael, occasionally save the world. Paul and Michael, occasionally save the world. Hey, What's that sound in the background? The back, my background? Yeah. There's no telling. It's probably a toy or something there's no telling what yeah. you'll hear there's no telling what you're going to hear you will probably hear my both kids and my wife <laughs> i have no idea i think you I you probably heard it better I than i did because i've got my ear pieces in my ears for the phone mm-hmm. and my headphones over that so i'm kind of shut off from the world
1: yeah I, I, yeah i could probably hear both of our ends better than you can
0: yeah i hear you p- perfectly though so that's what's best
1: I feel like this is a special edition of the podcast. It's it's Father's Day tomorrow, and here you and I, we always talk about our families. We're fathers. Uh, I I don't know how you've always felt about Father's Day, Sparky, but to me, Father's Day is um, its less about just celebrating me and making me be the special part. It's really about celebrating being a father. Yeah. So most Father's Days, we're not exactly doing what I would prefer to do. We're really doing what, like, we can do as a family. Right. That, right. You know, something special for us to share. So, um, this Father's Day, I'm actually quite excited about, uh, because, uh, family friends of ours, um, I will say this is probably our one group of, uh, our one friends that we would call family friends. You know, they're another couple. They have two children. Their oldest is about the same age as our son. Uh, but th- we're actually going to get together with them for Father's Day. I'm very excited about that because I've always kind of thought of them as family. And uh, I, I think that's kind of what we're doing. We're having a little Father's Day together. It's very cool. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I hope you have good plans uh, for something for your Father's Day. At the very least, I hope you're not stacking any hay
0: tomorrow. Not tomorrow, no. I kind of, um. tomorrow is going to be about my dad. Uh, my sister and her family's coming up. We're going to hang out with my dad and mom. And, uh, so today I took the opportunity. It's funny you s- described it the way you did. And I, I got up early, um, thinking I might have to go to work. So I got up with Delilah and let, uh, wife and oldest daughter sleep in. And then when they got up, I was like, Hey, I got an idea for Father's Day. Let this be my Father's Day since tomorrow is kind of committed to, to the rest of the family. I'm like, I want to go to a nearby town. I want, because they're going on a trip next weekend to look at a college. i like, I want. let's go to the library. Uh, you and Tristan pick out an audio book to listen to on the way that down and back. Um, then we're going to go, Tristan can pick somewhere to eat. She has a couple of choices, what she wants. And then we'll go to the park for Delilah, you know, because I just wanted to have a family day. That's what it is all about for me, just like spending time with them. And then I've been working really long hours and I haven't got to really hang out with them as much as i like to so i kind of like you know yeah it's father's day but being a father is being (laughs) being there with your kids and family as much as you can and enjoying them and we had a good day had a good day um and yeah tomorrow is going to be another another facet of family so yeah and i got a machete my wife got me a machete for father's day uh (laughs) you got uh some uh you got yourself some comic books, some really cool ones.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of got a variety of things. So my, my wife wanted me to get a barbecue for Father's Day. Now, I'm not real big on barbecuing. Like, I'm, I'm fine with it. I enjoy it enough, but, like, I'm not... You know, some guys are like, oh, yep, barbecue, that's their thing. You know, they want to be out there by the grill flipping burgers or whatever. F- food doesn't have that draw to me, especially just now that I uh, it's, it's all food is just all screwed up for me so um but i mean actually barbecuing is something that hopefully i'll tap into it and uh, and i'll get more enjoyment out of it because one of the safe things for me to eat is meat that's relatively unseasoned. but um so yeah so i mean we'll see but she wanted me to have the barbecue and i'm like i i'm indifferent let's get it but uh we're having our friends over tomorrow we're gonna barbecue so i'm pretty excited about that so that was kind of what she wanted to be my present was the barbecue uh, we went out today, uh, to get stuff to prepare for having our friends over tomorrow. one of the things we had to get was, uh, we, we got a little portable barbecue, uh, uh, you know, for camping, that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously we don't barbecue a ton. So we want something that's like small and portable and versatile. So we got some of those little propane bottles and we went to Target to get them because we needed a few other things. And, uh... We were walking by the uh, the men's clothing section, and I saw their screen print T-shirts were on sale for eight bucks. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense. You know, Father's Day, that's an easy thing to sell for presents. And the last couple of years, at least the last two years, maybe even longer, I'll have to check with my wife, uh, but my son has picked out a shirt for me for Father's Day as his present to me. And so I saw, I was like, oh, those are on sale for eight bucks. So she took Sam over, and they looked at the shirts, and... Uh, this kid just couldn't be better at picking good stuff too, because he wanted to get me a Jurassic Park T-shirt, which I would love. So oh yeah, that's one of the movies I count as one of my favorite movies. And uh, but they all, they didn't have my size, so he ended up getting me an Avengers T-shirt. That uh, the, the picture on it, it's like if you tore a section off of. All these different old Avengers, uh, like the different characters, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's made up of, like, all the, like, shreds of a classic comic book cover of all the different characters that build up the Avengers. And obviously, like, that's the the movie iteration for the mix of characters involved. But, uh, I like, I thought it was great because I was kind of wanting to get a shirt like that because I, I liked them. But I'm trying to get away from, like, picking out too many uh those types of shirts for myself. You know, trying to... Get a few more shirts that make me look like an adult, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's like this makes it kind of special because my son picked it out, and I liked it. And I I, I got to tell you, this kid, like, he has impeccable taste with comics, and he doesn't even read them yet, you know? Like, he's good, so. But, uh, but, yeah, and then you mentioned, um, I shared this the pictures with you, but my comic shop... They were doing road work outside of it for uh, another, like, probably couple of weeks. So he had a uh, road work is over sale, trying to draw people you know back in. And he had a 40% off sale, so it was like 40% off everything. So so I went in to pick up my regular comics. It had been, like, probably about a month since I got my comics. I'm not subscribing to a lot right now, so it was, like, four issues of comics. Like, it wasn't a lot. but uh, So I went in to grab those. And I took a look through uh, to see if he had any um, X Men books that I didn't have. There were a couple, but I, I actually passed on those uh, because I was looking. Well, I should take that back. I got one X Men book, and I knew he had this book, and he still had it. And it was uh, it's the, now the only issue of pre ninety four, like not nineteen ninety four, but pre issue ninety four, where everything changed and relaunched uh, X Men that I have. Uh, I can't remember the issue number off the top of my head, but uh, I was pretty excited about it because he had, it was 40% off. Like he had a marked at 30 bucks, which probably was more than it was worth. Uh, but with 40% off is only $18 to get, uh, you know, a very old issue of the X-Men. Oh yeah. So I was very excited about that because I, I love the X-Men. So just having at least one issue that's pre, you know, the, the relaunch is exciting to me. And aside from that, I, I looked through, he had a bunch of old Avengers, and I had gotten I had gotten a lot of dollar Avengers books from, from a very early run from him. Because he, he got a good collection, and he had a bunch of them just in his dollar bin. So I actually messaged him, and, and he had like 70-ish issues oh, wow. for a buck. But I said, I, I, I forget how many, but I told him, pick out, um, can you set aside... I don't know, 40 issues for me, something like that. So he picked out 40 issues. I told him which few I had, because at that point I had uh, very few. Uh, and the ones I had were actually, uh, recommended by Patrick Zerker and, uh, Kurt Busiek, just talking with them on Twitter. They recommended a couple of different things. So, um, he went through what he had and he picked out a, a run of 40 issues, uh, from what he had for me that I got for a very good price. Um, So I went and looked at the other ones he had, because those were long gone. And he had a bunch of books that were like, you know, $9 or $15. And then, of course, with the 40% off, they were a good chunk off of that. So I picked out three that I particularly liked uh, the covers on. Um, So, yeah, so I got got three. um, Two of the three Avengers issues I got were below issue 100. The oh, other one yeah. was issue 110, and I liked that one because it's Magneto on the cover, and he beat the X-Men, and now he's going to go beat the Avengers, and just I love the cover. Yeah. So yes, that was my, my Father's Day presence myself, was getting just a, a few comic books for a very good deal.
0: Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, and they look. you showed me a picture of how you have your wall done with all the other comics too, and you've got your baseball cards on the right there, and some artwork on the left. That's a very nice little setup you got there. Yeah,
1: I'm working on it. And the the baseball card thing is funny because, like, you buy that frame and it comes with a bunch of, like, just crap cards in it. Yeah. But uh, those are all still pretty much in it. I have four. So it holds, uh, what, 25 cards, I want to say? 20 or 25, something like that. Um, And I have four cards that i've gotten in there that are brooklyn dodgers cards of players that i read about in uh the boys of summer which i talked about reading that book i really enjoyed it and resonated a lot with me uh the all the rest of the cards are still the the crap cards that are in there but i do have um i had a small card collection left uh from when i collected cards and The the majority of the volume of it was this 200-card Kobe Bryant set, and I made the decision to sell that, so that's gone. Um, And I'll actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what I got with that But uh, that left me with very few cards uh, beyond the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers cards that I just mentioned. And two of those cards were, um, I had sent away when I was a kid. I found a book that was a list of addresses to write to for autographs. Oh, wow. So I, I mailed off for all these different autographs, and I, I got um, a few 49ers ones because that's my, my favorite football team. Uh, but I also got a John Elway autograph. Oh, cool! And I got a Chris Carter autograph. Chris Carter from the the Vikings. Um, he, he's a Hall of Famer, and a legend. But oh, yeah. if you're not a football fan, you probably wouldn't know who he was. So that's why I figured I'd clear that up a little <laughs> bit. Um. Anyhow, so I gave the John Elway one to a friend of mine that's a Broncos fan. He's a, um, a coworker of a peer of mine. Um, you know, it's cool and it has that, like, sentimental value to me. But, like, I have a few of the things that I got from 49ers players that have that value to me. And I don't need to keep these other things. So I knew he would get more out of it from the aspect of a fan. And in John Elway's case, I also, uh, kind of really don't like him anymore. Uh... He's not a good GM, in my opinion, from what he's done with that team. And I also don't – I wasn't too happy with how he represented himself during uh, a lot of the Colin Kaepernick stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um, He came off pretty phony. Yeah. I don't like it. Anyways, uh, so I give that card away. And uh, the other card, Chris Carter, uh, one of the guys in our fantasy football league is a Vikings fan. So I actually just messaged him the other day and said, you're a Vikings fan, right? And he said, yeah, I said, I got this card for you. So I'm going to put that in the mail to him. That left me with um, one 49ers card uh, and a handful of wrestling cards that I got autographed. Oh, cool. When I... So when I moved to Maine, I had gotten to know my wife's cousin, Mike, uh, who we've talked about before, you know, we I podcasted with him here, and there on his wrestling podcast uh, on the Nerdy Legion Network and stuff like that. And um, anyways, uh, I, I got to know him before we moved out here because of wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, because I could carry a conversation with him. I wasn't watching wrestling at the time, but because he was Amanda's cousin, and um It was kind of an opportunity to get to know him some, Uh, So I kind of got to know him just chatting online basically before we moved to Maine. So we moved to Maine and uh, I didn't meet him in person for the first time until we had been here for close to a year. And I went uh, to his house and we went to his friend's house to watch the Royal Rumble. That was before the WWE network existed, uh, so now it's like if you want to watch the WWE pay per views, the network only costs ten bucks a month, you get everything. Yeah, uh, back then, like you had to buy the pay per view. So his friend had bought this pay per view for what, like forty or fifty bucks or whatever. Uh, so we went over there to watch it. And it was pretty awesome. And then uh, a little down the road after that, um, there was a wrestling event that was happening in Augusta, Maine, and that the headline not like match but the the headline person was bret hart who is my favorite like he was my favorite growing up um he is uh you know one of few people that i kind of like when i met him i kind of you know fanned out for um so this event was uh you know he was the guy there he was signing they had a bunch of other like well-known guys from back in the day there um you know, let alone some other good talent and whatnot. Um, But for uh, like the, whatever, the VIP package was like a hundred bucks, but you got to meet Bret Hart and get an autograph and you got to get an autograph from pretty much everybody else there was covered, like one autograph from them. So I got autographs from uh, the Nasty Boys. I got uh, an autograph from, I think it was Bushwhacker Luke, uh, Shane Douglas, a couple other guys. So those are the cards that I have, and that's all from that one event. I actually oh, met wow. these people and got their autograph, like, you know, hand-to-hand. Um, so those are going to go up in it. And that's still going to leave some space, but uh, I was thinking about it. Like, you and I have talked about this a little bit, a little bit on on the podcast, but a little bit just in general otherwise. Uh, just kind of getting the, like, kind of keeping it open to getting the cards of the players that we really liked growing up or, you know, liked watching and that we fans of. And has nothing to do with value or the cards being special or anything. So I think I'm going to start kind of filling that frame up a bit.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I kind of, uh, I pretty much found everything I was wanting to find. I was surprised at how easy I just found them, random little places around, little shops and stuff. So, yeah, that's, the value is more of a personal value. and It's not monetary because I know everything I have is just worth, Pretty much uh, what the cost of the paper is, probably.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about that a little bit. Like, I kind of want to go find an Oral Hershizer card right about now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm lamenting how long it's been since the Dodgers have won a World Series and how close we've come recently. Uh, and even though I was, I was only five when they won the World Series in 88... But I've watched that on DVD, and I've watched all the games, and I've watched documentaries, so it's not exactly something I'm unfamiliar with, even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't living it as a sports fan that was old enough to, you know, know better.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's good <sighs> I think stuff. we
1: have a chance to be in the World Series for the third year in a row this year, the way it's looking.
0: Well, that'd be good. I don't think my Rangers are going to make it. <laughs> they're not having the, they're not having a good year. They're about five hundred right now. Ups and downs. Well you just do it uh what Jay
1: did and claim Astros fandom instead. I can't bring
0: myself to do that. <laughs> I can't do that. But yeah, uh nobody should no. No. I'm trying to look. We uh last time we talked it's been like almost uh as like May 25th, the last time we had an episode come out. And you brought up uh, how you'd started reading a, a book with some friends from work, some people you knew from work. Uh, Cavalier and Clave, Michael. I never know how to say Shabon, Shabon, something like that. And uh, I haven't got that far in it, but I, I've read it before. And I, 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 it's one of those books I, I loved. I had some notes on it. I was going to try to find. But that, just that first chapter alone is amazing. And I know if you've got, you're like on the third, fourth chapter probably by now, aren't you? Yeah, and
1: actually you mentioning that we recorded about a month ago and that's when I was starting it, it makes me realize that now I have about a month to finish the damn book before I'm supposed to get together with my friends to discuss it. So I got to get hauling on that. Yeah, you got to get on it. Uh, yeah, you know, I so I, I believe I've read four chapters, or I'm on the fourth chapter, something like that. I'm not super far into it, but probably around 40-ish pages, so I do have to get going, uh, but the thing that strikes me with it is, uh, compared to the other stuff that, I, that I've read, cause I, I tried to read uh, a book that was recommended to me that is you know, kind of more popular fiction, um, and I'll read it, like, I'll, I'll get to it. Actually, I, I had requested it from the library and i read some of it that way i read enough to know that i would be able to like really give the book a go so i went out and bought it because i wasn't in the mood to read it at that time but uh we cavalier and clay it's there's just so much art just in in how it's written and um you know like just the act of reading it is pleasurable yeah you know it's a It's not just about the story. It's not just about the characters. It's just, it's just good. It's like, uh, you you can watch a movie that is all story, you know, like, uh, I don't know, um, John Wick is a, is one that's popping in my head right now. It's like, it's just all action and story, you know, this happened and he's getting from point A to point B and that's the story, right? And like, that, that's good. That's fine. It's a good thing too. You could watch a movie that's all character. That, uh, you know, you get to know the people. And it's just all about the character and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, that's fine. But, like, both of those types of movies, what, like, the, what the experience is is based on things continuing to move. You know, a, a story-driven movie, like, the story has to keep on going. Yeah. And those tend to be the movies that when you watch them, you have the, uh, there's always a period in the movie where they're, they're doing something to progress the story. And it's just so tedious after the first time. Yeah. You know, but you get through it because it's part of it. It's part of it. You know, you have to have that part for the story to make sense. There's a big difference between that and, a, and the kind of movie that whatever it's accomplishing. Because, I mean, this movie has a story. This movie is building characters. But you never have those moments where you feel like, oh, this is the part that I just got to get through. And then I like the rest, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what Cavalier and Clay is like. Like, it's just so well written. And so pleasurable to read at any point, whatever is going on, you know, whether it be they're sitting in the room, you know, trying to roll a cigarette or you're reading about, you know, the the boy trying to escape from German occupation. Yeah,
0: it's it's just I had texted you the other day and I actually wrote down just to remember how you how you responded about how you're feeling about the book. And you, your response was the writing is beautiful to read the difference between art and just telling a story, kind of what you're touching on just then. And it really is. Um, he's, he's a, it's not that a, I mean, he's a gifted, he, he is an artist with written word. I mean, he's, he's really good at, uh, uh at what he does. I mean, not to say that somebody that can just tell a good story without all the, all the, extra uh, uh things that kind of like bring it beyond just story is not enjoyable but uh yeah, it's a, it's a good book i mean it's just the first i actually wrote down the amount of research the guy did to write the book it was amazing he mentions in the first chapter this is just the first chapter he mentions robert louis stevenson jack london h.g wells thomas Wolfe, theodore dreiser john dos Pausos, and S.J. Perlman, who was a humorist back then. And then he gets another section where he's talking about all the illustrators and cartoonists that he loved and followed and tried to, like, emulate, because he like the, I can't remember the guys, the, the guy we are introduced to first that is a Native American, he's born in America, Uh and he gets yeah. him thrown in together with his cousin, who is an artist, uh, just, uh, that's escaped, uh, through Japan, uh, via Japan to get uh, to escape and get to, uh, to America. Uh, They mentioned Norman Rockwell and I actually looked up who these people were because it was curious to me. Um, Norman Rockwell, who everybody knows Um, J.C. Liondecker, who was an illustrator back then Uh, Alex Raymond, who did Flash Gordon. Um, Then there was a guy named Milton Caniff, Uh, Chester Gould, who did Dick Tracy, um, Byrne Hogarth, who did the art for Tarzan, Lee Falk, The Phantom, um, <laughs> Crazy Cat cartoonist, George Harriman, and, and just on and it, on. It's just crazy.
1: And the thing about it, and it, this is really what makes it stand apart, is it's easy to have somebody who goes, I'm, I want to write a book, and it's, it's going to tie in with this or that or whatever, and they make all these references, and the references feel so forced, you know, it's like they're they're intentionally doing these things, and in this book uh, it, it feels just seamless, it's just them, it's them being them, it's them talking about what's important to them, like you, you're you feeling the characters it's like if you and I talked about uh, Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent, yeah, so if yeah. we talked about um, you know, Darwin Cook and if we talked about uh, Grant Morrison, and like, you know, all the people that when we're talking about them we're not having to Check off a checklist to hit the people we we want to mention because they're important. We're not, um, we we don't even have to think about it because if we're talking about it, we're, you know, it's just like you know we, we're talking about sports cards. And I, you know, I can mention mention uh, Oral Hersheiser and I can mention you know Chris Carter and I can mention John Elway and all these people. And I'm not mentioning them because I'm trying to meet a quota to accomplish something, right? I'm mentioning them because I I don't have to think about it. Yeah. it. It's part of who I am. It's part of of my mentality and my psyche. And in the book, that's what it's like. They're mentioning all these people. It's it's so funny because you just mentioned all these people, mm-hmm. and I'm going like I couldn't tell you who the hell they mentioned because I read the book and I felt like I was just talking with somebody I knew. Right. So I every I'm not I'm not letting everything sink in like that. And uh I'm very glad you did that. Like that was very interesting to me to to see that, you know, these are all the things that they tied in just by mentioning, but it was done from from uh like their genuine experience. Which is very And their genuine experience is two characters that were made up. Like this is this guy writing this. That that's what's that's what makes it, you know, transcendent beyond uh you know so, the, the book I was talking about, The Passage, the other one uh-huh. is, is, you know, popular fiction. Like, when they do stuff like that, like, they mention something that is popular in the time, and it's, like, it's slapping you in the face with it. It's saying, like, hey, I'm telling you this to give you a stamp of something to relate to, so you understand the time frame, you understand, like, what this character likes, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's a ploy to give you a way to relate to the character. Uh Right. Yeah. And that's not the case in, in, um, Cavalier and clay. They're not, you know, it's like the, the way it's written, they don't give a shit if you care about the character. Right. These are just the characters living. And of course you're going to care about the characters because you're reading the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a difference. It's a very big difference. He, uh, he did a ton of research. You know, I have the benefit, this is my second reading. And that's kind of why I was like, I'm re-familiarizing myself with the story. It's been several years since I read it the first time. I remembered I loved it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I'm reading it. I'm kind of letting it soak in. I'm like, well, this is, I didn't notice this. I kind of like, I was reading the story and I was like, okay, yeah, he's throwing out all these names. I'm like, well, who are these people? And I, so I'm like, I want to, I want to find out. And so I went and looked them all up and I was like, oh wow, I recognize, I might not know their names, but I, I definitely recognize Flash Gordon. I definitely recognize Dick Tracy, Tarzan. This is all part of the culture and it's important for the story even though you might not know it from reading it because you might not recognize the names. But like you said, for the character, it's because these guys, they the, the whole book is basically about the foundation of the modern comic industry as we know it. And and it, you haven't got to this. He hasn't, an, and I'm not. I hope I'm not spoiling anything. He has an author's note at the end where he thanks. He did a lot of research. He wanted to thank this library and this library. These people that helped him. He sat down with like Stan Lee. Um, I, I, I could. I wish I could remember all the different people. A lot of people, if I could remember off the top of my head, that you would know their names, because of their importance to from like the sixties and fifties and so on. Uh, he's got to sit and talk to them and, you know, he got to pick up, pick their brains about, uh, comic books and all that. It's a darn good book. And I'm looking forward to reading more. It's just like a, it's funny. I've got a book that I'm listening to at work, which is 1200 pages called, uh, the dying grass by a guy named William T. Volman. And then there's a book I'm reading at night that I've been reading for like two months that I'm only a quarter of the way through. It's like 800 pages uh, called uh, Seven of Eves, I think is how you, is I got him, Neil Stevenson. It's about uh, something happens that destroys the moon. And there's this impending crisis where all the fragments are going to eventually be drawn into the Earth's atmosphere. And just it's called uh, The Hard Rain. It's going to pretty much wipe out life as we know it. So they're like fighting to get people up into... Uh, these arcs that are kind of floating with the international space station and i'm reading Cavalier clay actual physical copy because i like to do that um but uh the difference between like story the difference between story and art is the book i'm reading by uh william volman it's about the nez perce war in the 1870s with chief joseph and how uh the atrocities that were committed by uh Various people against them, and then some uh, young warriors got upset and did some stuff back. Um, even though some of the, the leaders of the tribe didn't want them to, they wanted to try to maintain peace. They'd always been a pretty peaceful people. Um, he really—he he goes beyond anything I've ever written, read. Um, in that, he inhabits from one second to another. He's inhabiting somebody's inner thoughts. And then it, it can be a throw-off. I'm, I'm reading, I'm listening to it. Um, I also have a Kindle version of that I got uh, a long time ago. And he does it textually by indentation where it jumps from, say, General O. Howard. Is, this is what's happening in his mind. And then you'll hear a guy that's just a soldier walking by. It's That's art. I mean, it it, it's, it, it takes a little while to get used to, but it's beautiful. Um, another book I just read uh, is Tiamat's Wrath. It's like the eighth book in the Expanse series. And it, I swear to God, this series of books is like my favorite thing that I've read as far as like ongoing series kind of thing. Uh, it's by James S.A. Corey. Uh, and it kind of does the whole thing that each chapter is from a different person's perspective. And it's dealing with, it's science fiction. It's dealing with out in the world kind of stuff. Um, but it's all personal. It's like believable. This could really happen in like 200 years, 300 years. Um, but it's all about character. There's all these big world changing, uh, solar system changing events happening. It's about power shift, who has the haves and have nots and them against us and how we like tribalize, um, uh, and how that would like the way we do now on our little planet that we live on now, and how if all of us got exported off to like Mars and then we went to the outer rim where they were mining, and then even beyond it, the story even goes. But it, the, their writing is very much a wonderful story driven story to where I can't wait. And you love the characters they make you love the characters. They even make you kind of sympathize with the people that are in the antagonist, like the bad people in the story. Like they're so good at writing that they can actually make you like, well, okay, this guy or lady kind of has a point, but they're just going about dealing with it wrong. Um, and the writing is beautiful, not maybe to the level of like, uh, uh the author of Cavalier and Clay, but it's just really good. And just, can really make, I mean, I almost, I gotta tell you, I'm not gonna say what happens in this last book. There, I'm so invested that I almost cried when something happened. And I know, I know my cousin <laughs> Dave is going through the same series. Um, and I know he's gonna just take his, uh, phone because he listens at work. He's gonna throw it across the room and not, not want to keep reading. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's just so good. And then, you know, there's a payoff in the end. Uh, it's it's like, it's like a perfect mixture of horror, science fiction, you know, high drama, uh, mystery, adventure, action, everything mixed together in this one, one book. And it's written by like I said, James S.A. Corey, but it's actually two guys writing it. And I'd love to really know what their process is because it's insane, but that captures, you know, it's art and it's a good story. But, uh, I, I read a book recently also. Do you know, remember a guy named Michael? Um, he's on Twitter under the handle of SOS or Sauce the Rope. He's a valiant fan. He's involved with VCP. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I, when I first started interacting with him, I'm like, what the heck is that? That's a, that's a, that's an interesting Twitter handle. So I looked up by a guy named, uh, uh, Piers Anthony and I'm like, I found the book for like, two bucks at a used bookstore an original printing you know first edition paperback I'm like I'm gonna check this out he said well the book's crap but it's worth reading and it's cr- it's crap because the writing is pretty much that the characters are pretty one-dimensional um, there's uh, some uh, like written in 1968 when he was in his early 30s he hasn't really developed this is like his second book it was his writing style I mean he's written probably 50 books. He's still writing. He's in his 90s, I think. Uh he's like a, one of the fantasy like mainstays. I mean, you see him over the years if you've been reading books since the 80s and looking at fantasy books or science fiction even his name he's always had a book on the shelf. Um he wrote the Xanth novels. But the, what's interesting about this is the story is kind of interesting the way he sets it up. It's just like the writing just isn't at the point to where it's that compelling that we're talking about if you follow me. So it's like worth reading, but it's not necessarily something I want to go back and read again. Whereas I'm getting joy out of going and reading Kevlar and clay again, just because of the, the, the experience and I've gone on and on because I don't know th- th- those, those two things kind of, after you wrote that text the other day, those things kind of, um, that kind of stuck with me the difference between good story, which is good. And it's like a TV show. Oh, y'all yeah, watched uh, Big Bang Theory, but then there's another show that might be like uh, The Wire. Um, they're completely different in how the quality of them. You know, wow, I just went on a long rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> it worked out. I was actually
1: I had to do something, and I just walked away from my microphone and did it while you were talking. Perfect, so perfect it timing. Signed up pretty well. Perfect timing. Um. Yeah, it worked out perfectly because I was like, there's like, okay, I can interrupt you, or I can just go do this." I just went and did it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That worked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's that's the big difference is uh, there's a lot of stories out there that are great to go through once, mm-hmm. but something that has that is artful is great to go through again and again because it's more than just the experiencing the story. Because if you know what's going to happen you know, it's going to happen and that that's going to kill the value of like, you know, 90% of stories. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the the things that are special, like you mentioned the wire as far as TV goes, like, and it's not to say that the things that are out there that are just story and you know what? Um, Even something like Big Bang Theory isn't a good example because Big Bang Theory is how many seasons is it now? Like 12?
0: Yeah. They just finished their final season. Yeah. Something like so that. So if it's
1: 12, 12 seasons, approximately, like, I don't know, 30 episodes a season or something like that, so 300 plus episodes, right? Something like Every that. Every episode yeah. is its own story. There's, like, an overarching story, but it's still, like, it's not quite the same as uh, something like The Wire, that is a, a story that progressively grows and changes. And right. The the whole arc of the story is what matters. Um and even the wire may not be the best example because season to season it's its own story and there is a bit of an overarching but each season really is pretty independent um yeah you know i'm trying to give an example i don't know like 24 maybe i i didn't watch that much of 24 it didn't appeal to me that much but like you watch 24 and it's the excitement of what's gonna happen the cliffhangers and you know it's very exciting to watch and you get into it and stuff like that but What's the rewatch value? You know what's going to happen on it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's there's plenty of things like that, and those things are good, too. And eventually, they're great to experience again. Or maybe you just really loved them, and even though you know they're not something transcendent, you love them. And they're great. To, like, I don't know. Jurassic Park is one for me that I think Jurassic Park is a movie that it's not like it's a, one of the greatest movies ever made movies. But I love Jurassic Park, and I could watch that movie any damn time. Because I love every damn thing that happens in that movie, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, both things are good and, you know, you need both things. You need some things to enjoy that aren't challenging and, you know, immersive. You need some things that you could just kind of, like, be surface with, you know. Um, Recently, my my wife started watching this and I was like, oh, great. She's watching this show and now I can do my own thing because there was my own things I wanted to do. And sometimes we watch stuff that, like, we got to watch together. So, my time's all tied up. Uh, but it was so, I found it very easy to get hooked into. And it's um, the, what's it called the great British baking show or something like that. And it's just, it's funny cause it's just like a, a, fairly typical reality show, you know, group of people baking, one person gets kicked out each week, you know? Uh, but it was so engrossing because you care about the people, which is what those shows do. You like, you want to root for people, yeah, right? Yeah. But the thing that made this show really special, and I, I realized what was different about it, is you don't really hate anybody. You don't want anybody to lose. You want to see them all succeed. And it, it's very enjoy. And they want each other to succeed. They don't want each other to fail. There's There's no cynicism. There's no nastiness in it. It's just really fantastic seeing that. Like, these people are there because they love what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And they're not just there to win. And that's pretty great.
0: Yeah, that's one of those shows. I want to check it out. I've heard good things about it. I think you've mentioned it more than once to me. Uh, I definitely want to. But and one of the reasons why is like you're talking about. There's a show. It's on the. Is, is it on? I don't know if it's on Food Network or the Cooking Channel. It's called a uh, Kids Baking Championship. It's got a uh, Duff the Cake Guy and Valerie Bertinelli as the judges, and they take like little like young kids like 10 to 13 years old and they have a weekly competition and it's just like you're just like you do kind of find your favorites that you kind of root for or the ones that you like well this one's definitely got the skills to win and then you it's the drama of watching them actually have to go through these like oh god they screwed up they are actually one of the better at what they do but they had a bad day and it's just compelling I and mean, we watch it and my wife laughs at me because i love it so much but just watching these kids bake <laughs> these things and that's they're doing things that, that i could try and i try to cook i make bread i do things like that i could never do what these kids do at that age just because it's something they're already passionate about at that that young age um it's that like watching that and watching people like on uh I don't know if you ever watched Forge and Fire where they make the different swords and blades and axes and stuff. Watching people with skill to do things like that. Uh, it's just it's just an is engrossing to me.
1: Yeah, you know, there's something special about watching people do their skill, whatever it may be. Um, you know, at my job there's skill involved and I have fifteen years of experience doing what I do. I don't think much about it, but the times when I'm, um, you know, making drinks on on, on the bar and uh, customers are blown away by what I can do, it kind of, you know, it reminds me, like, this is a special skill that not everybody has, and um, there are some people that can work, uh, most people could work towards it and get good at it, but there are people out there who couldn't, even if they wanted to,
0: you know? That's very
1: true. And... uh, Everybody has those skills, like you, even you uh, bailing hay, like that may just seem like, a, you know, I couldn't bail hay for the life of me. And I, I bet you anything that you can like you watching you bail hay would be something to see because of your expertise, because that shows when you have expertise, you know, like everybody out there listening to this. You have something like that that may seem like the most dumb, stupid thing, but you have expertise in something Or you're developing expertise in something. And, you know, even if it's something that essentially doesn't matter, uh, like, you know, does making uh, espresso drinks smoothly and seamlessly and quickly, like, does that matter in the greater scheme of my life? Not really.
0: But, uh... It matters to the customer, though, because believe me, my wife... And I love uh, getting drinks like that. And they know as soon as they taste it, if something's off, it is hard. And I, yeah, I, you know, uh, I have, I've had a little bit of experience with what it is you do. Um, and for me, it's damned hard. I, I sometimes had to like fill in and help out, uh, doing this. And it is, it's a skill, just like you're talking about me doing using a uh, cutting hay or baling hay. For me, right now, it's second nature. I don't really, I don't put that much, it's like my, my lizard brain is absorbed at all and I'm just like doing it by second hand, you know, just by instinct. Um, but, you know, my wife sometimes helps and I throw her on to do something to help out and it's like, oh, it's like intimidating because it's not, she's not been doing it for 30 years or 20 years or whatever, you know.
1: Um, yeah. And, you know, you just hit it. It's, it's exactly that. It is. It's second nature. We don't have to think about it. So we show off the skill by the fact that we're doing it at such a high level. But mentally, we're focusing on other things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I could be doing what I do. And mentally, I'm focusing on on the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh it, it, that's what makes it impressive. And, it, you know, everybody either has something that they are capable of that blows people away like that that they just wouldn't even think of and it doesn't even come up often maybe but it's just something that they've developed a skill on or they're developing those skills and it just, I mean, it goes to show that even if it's something like, you know, like I said making espresso beverages isn't the most consequential thing in my life. The most consequential things in my life are my family and, you know other things that, like, if, if I had a different job and made the same money I do it wouldn't matter that I wasn't making espresso beverages, right, right? right? Whereas, like, with my wife, she's an artist. That does matter. Oh, yeah. Like, she has to be making some kind of art or craft, and that stuff amazes people what she could do. It amazes me, and she doesn't even really think about how impressive it is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, everybody listening, there's something that you do that is like that, and it, it pays to, um, to remind yourself that that is special and that it's not that the thing you're doing is the most important thing, but it's understanding that you have that capability and you can find that level of expertise in something that does mean more to you. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I've been doing personally with, uh, trying to readjust how I think about things and how I'm focusing myself because one of the other aspects of my job that does matter more is how I interact with people and the impact I've had on people. And um, that's where I see that I can make a bigger difference for other people, for myself, for my family, by developing these skills that I have a natural inclination for. And uh, like I can take those skills and make them that thing where people are blown away by what I can do. Yeah. Because I know that even without focusing myself on it, I often blow people away with what I can do in those areas. Right, you know? right,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things, you're in a position where people are watching you, uh, the people that work with you and for you. your How you approach things, how you deal with other people, sets an example for them, how they should be doing it. Um, they can watch you do something and pick up on something to better themselves. So... You know, you might not even think about it, but yeah, eyes are always on you, especially in a job like what you have. And I want, you know, we're not talking about what your job is. You kind of talked a little bit about it more than I ever have heard you, but it's one of those things that, yeah, when you're in a situation where you are a leader, I don't have that because I'm sitting in most of the time by myself. Um, But I've been there where, oh crap, I'm in a morning meeting and I have to make all these plans and everything I schedule for the day affects every one of these people. And, you know, how I deal with things when pressure comes on, it sets the tone for how they react to things. And yeah, it's all. And talking about pressure, to go back to a TV show, uh, it's one of those like obsessive shows that I, I absolutely love. <laughs> the show, and I've told you about it a long time ago. I don't know if you remember. It's called Alone, it's on the History Channel. It's, it's like a, you remember a survivor man where they go out and they just, he would go out by himself and just like set up a scenario like he's in a plane crash. How would he survive? Well, they take like 10 people and this year they're in the Canadian Arctic and they're dropped them off two like two weeks before the cold weather really sets in. And they are, they have cameras, they're alone. They have a safety check once a week. They have a phone that can all they have to do is hit a button and somebody will come and help them if they get hurt. But it's not like the, there's been some survivor type shows where it's like, yeah, I don't really believe everything that's happening, but this is real. As far as I can tell, it's completely real. They're, they're there. I've seen people get hurt. Um, the first episode of this season, the second episode just came out. It's on Thursday nights. And I'm, I'm the first episode, a guy, like the most competent person I've ever seen on the show. I think he's walking along and there's no reason for this to have happened. And he slipped and fell and broke his leg. Oh man. And it's like, well, there you go. This is how real this is, is this just happened to this guy. And he was, he was talking about how careful you have to be about this and that. Um, I just love it's it. Shows how real stuff is. Used. Yeah, I just love watching it, and my wife loves watching it with me. so like you grow to like. You talk. You're talking about on the the baking, the British baking Bake Off show. You you get like favorites, kind of like this person is really good, or you like their personality. But in the end, you kind of really do want them all to go on. But for a show like that, somebody has to win and then everybody ends up losing. I mean, they've, the longest they've lasted is like 70 something days, uh, alone. And these Dang. people start, you know, it's not, and these people are all accomplished. They're not like, like, it's not like throwing me out there where I'd have to quit in like five days. Cause I'm don't know what I'm doing. These people are some of They've had Navy SEALs on there. Um, they've got people that teach, teach like primitive, um, uh, survival skills, Hunting, living in the wild, and they get put in these places. And if the food's not there, that's what beats them. If they can't catch a fish at the right time, or they get sick at the wrong time, it takes them out. And it's just, uh, it's just that drama of watching people deal with stuff. And like you said, I said earlier, like they're really good at what they're doing. And watching them do something, they love doing this stuff, but they just can't. They get to a point and it's heartbreaking to watch them when they have to tap out and quit. Um, but it's also hard to watch them because some of these people, they do not it doesn't matter. I mean, one time, one year, a guy, he had all these fish. He was catching fish like crazy. He had pounds and pounds of dry fish. What beat him was his own mind. It's like, I need to save. I need to save this. I need to save this. So he was starving himself. To where he looked like a skeleton at the end of the when they had to actually had to pull him. They just made the call and pulled him out, and he had so much food to eat, <laughs> Good and it was it was heartbreaking because he would have been fine, but he was like, I need to save it as much as I can. I gotta win this, and by the, the fact that he could not let himself eat even a decent meal a day, even though he had all these fish smoked. And preserved and ready to go, ah, I love that show. (laughs) So one of the things I was thinking
1: about when you're talking about the uh, what was the show called? Survive. It's called Alone. Alone. Yeah, yeah. and it was one word. I I, I forgot. I'm tired. Whatever. I understand. Um, One of the things I thought about was uh, when I was quite a bit younger, uh, when I was very, very much into wrestling. Um, this is back before stuff was so easily accessible. So I had, what was it, the video store? And we lived in a small town. And when we first moved to the small town, there was actually only one video store. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent because I like this story. So th- this this video store is called Rainbow Video. It was the, the small, independent, local video store. And I I when I discovered wrestling as a kid, I loved wrestling um absolutely just everything about it i absolutely loved wrestling this was about like probably 92 93 that i i got into wrestling mm-hmm. so i went there and i rented every damn video they had and uh i would you know do chores for money one of my favorite things to do as a kid to get money and my this worked out for my mom so whatever but uh she had a. it, it seems like every uh i don't know like there's Different size purses for different generations. I don't know. Yeah. So, like, the purse size changes, right? Yeah. So, my mom had this freaking giant purse, right? Yeah. Just full of crap. So, one of the things I would do for, for enough money to go rent a movie or, you know, rent, rent a wrestling tape was I would clean out her purse. And she was a smoker, too. So, that meant, like, not just getting the crap, you know, like, old receipts or whatever out of there, but, like. Emptying the whole thing, cleaning out all the loose tobacco that was floating around. Like, that kind of crap, you know? Yeah. But she would let me keep whatever loose change I found in her purse. It was always enough to rent some videos. So, I would go rent wrestling videos, and I would watch videos over and over. Uh, One of the things I've talked about with my cousin Mike several times is that WrestleMania 4 was one of the best. Because it was so long. It was two VHSs, but it was only one rental fee, you know? But uh, then... Uh, another video, uh, so I'm sorry, back to rainbow video. The last point with that is like, I rented wrestling tapes. there so much and loved it so much. There was a, a WWF at the time, you know, that's, that's what they were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they started doing promotions with, uh, when they released their videos, they would just have like little giveaway stuff. So it's supposed to be like, you know, you go, you rent a tape, you get a little giveaway. It got to the point where they always saved me one of everything. Oh yeah. So they gave me just like, hey, we got all this. You know, we got this stuff. Here is one of everything. Because I was going to be there renting the tapes. And it was just great. Like, I mean, that's the kind of relationship that anybody looks with from any kind of a retailer. Like, as comic fans, we talk about that with our comic shops or whatnot. Like, where they know you're reliable. They know you're genuine. And they take care of you, you know. And that was great. Um, One of the people that worked there, even, they went on a vacation. And they sent a postcard to my family, and, like, they even, like, mentioned, like, me and wrestling games. Oh, really? Just, like, it was, uh, I mean, this is looking back to when I was, you know, a a fairly little kid. Like, you know, maybe, like, nine or Uh ten kind of age. But, like, it meant a lot. It also really goes to show you how much, um, simple gestures can mean to people that we can just, like, take for granted or not even think twice about, you know? Very true. So, anyways, that's Rainbow Video. A very special, uh, piece of, of my growing up was Rainbow Video. So, another video store opens a few years down the road, whatnot. Um, yeah, I was still, like, I think it, I, I don't, it, it might have been, like, a, a licensed thing, but I've never heard of another one. I think it was called Video Giant. I think it even changed names a couple of times. Hmm. I don't know. But, uh, anyways, this other video store opens, and, you know, they have wrestling tapes. But, eventually, I, like, I tap, I watched every damn wrestling tape I could, including the, like, going back to the 70s, like, random old NWA tapes and whatever. Huh. And uh, watched everything I could. So finally, after all this time, I try a UFC tape. Mm-hmm. And this is the time where some some guys from the MMA world were starting to get into wrestling a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like you know, you get a, a like I think Ken Shamrock was the first like really well known guy from both sides. Like you know, he he made an impact in pro wrestling, but like he was a real name in MMA um so i I rent a ufc tape and i still remember um one of the fights where a guy gets knocked out on his feet falls back and his head just thuds off the ground yeah so you're talking about that alone show just that kind of stark realism where it, it doesn't have to be the most shocking thing it's not somebody getting you know punched in the face and like you know five teeth flying out and blood spurting all over the place and, you know, brains flying out or whatever. But like understanding the, the realism of somebody, like when they get knocked out cold on their feet and then their head just thuds on the ground like that. And there's like, there's a lot of severe consequences. Oh that. yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Something very, just very stark about it that, um, you know, seeing people that are, especially like the show you're talking about, where they're very competent in what they're doing but even with being so competent, there's that level of, uh, of risk.
0: There's it can be. It's usually the little things that take them out. Um, it can be the big things. It's like they just can't find the food. But it's all, a lot of times it's just like a simple mistake can be the the deal breaker. You brought up UFC. I watched a lot of the early. Uh, my cousins and friends. We would get some of the. We do the. You're talking about pay-per-views. We do the pay-per-views for a lot of the early UFC things. Back with uh, like Hoist Gracie, uh, the, the was where's he from? Is he from is it Brazil? The jiu the uh, it's like a yeah. He
1: there's a thirty for thirty podcast episode about like the beginning of that. I need mean, to listen to that. That is amazing. You have to listen to it. It is something else. Like it is, um, uh, stuff. So, like, Ken Shamrock was involved right at the beginning yeah. of, of the UFC stuff. And I guess, like, their very first pay, pay-per-view, you couldn't wear shoes. That was one of their things. Right. Like, you had to be barefoot. And that cost him his match because he was not used to fighting that way. So, just changing that little factor cost him his foothold, and that was enough to make him lose. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that is just so, so amazing. Like when you look at the, you know, the level of of competency in what you do, but when you're so used to things being a certain way and then you get something that seems like a little detail pulled out from under you, if you haven't adapted to that, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not as simple as just like, oh yeah, you know, just don't wear shoes, no big deal, you know. It's like, no, that is massive because uh, when, when you're competing at such a high level, such a small detail makes such a big difference. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, you look at professional sports too. Like uh I hate the Seahawks and then the Seahawks prime. Part of the reason they were so successful is that they pushed the boundaries of fair and cheating, like on every single play defensively. Oh yeah. That's why their defense was so good is they were always risking a penalty. And so the refs wouldn't call penalties nearly as often as they should because, uh, how often is the right amount, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, even though it should be like penalties should be, it's a penalty or it's not. That's not realistically how people judge things. And, uh, you know, th- that was that that's what made them so successful is, is they changed the script on everybody. And you see that in sports all the time where the team that is very successful, it's because they change the expectations and it just pulls the rug out from people. Um, you know, I mentioned Colin Kaepernick earlier. I'm a big yeah. 49ers fan. I, I loved that, that brief wondrous era that we had of Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick at their best. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned my friends were getting together with tomorrow. They're from Wisconsin. Kyle's a big Packers fan, of course, and the 49ers ripped them to shreds during that couple of years, and it was wonderful, and uh, Colin Kaepernick set a record for quarterback rushing yards with, like, I think it was, like, 182 yards in a game. I remember that game. He would take off, and it was, like, just a gazelle running away from, yeah. like, a, you know, like, a three-legged dogs. I don't know. Like, it was... It was just it was beautiful what the, the 49ers were able to accomplish and the Packers had no answer for it and they weren't the only team that had no answer for it. But eventually, of course, like once they can figure out how to approach this and kind of get their footing again, like that came back down to earth that's what always happens in sports. but you know it's what happens in, the, in, in anything you know you, you have such a high level of skill, but then you change the just the minutest detail, and it can make all the difference.
0: That reminds me of, like, back in the days when, uh, like, Magic, I mean, they, they were, like, fast-paced, up the court, you know, running gun. Um, and then you get, like, uh, I don't know if you remember when, like, uh, Chris Jackson uh, joined the Denver Nuggets, and it was like they didn't even play defense. They were just get the ball, shoot, shoot, shoot. I mean, they, they were averaging like a, a ridiculous high point, um, and didn't really pay off for them in the long run. But uh, <laughs> but then, okay, compare like the the fast pace of the of the Lakers, who I love to watch, versus when the Pistons, with Isaiah Thomas, and they had that they slowed everything down so much. They would just walk the ball up the court, and they is all about skill and positioning and passing. You know, not about speed. Is all about you know just slowing it down because as l- the longer so, what what years are we talking? This about This is going right to be is... in the late eighties.
1: Yeah. Okay. So even though I was quite young during the 80s, so when uh, when Magic and Larry first competed for a championship, yeah. I wasn't born. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is this is like it
1: was right before I was born. That even even though I was too young to have lived through that era of basketball, like as a, a conscious fan, that's my favorite era of basketball. I've I've watched the games, I've watched documentaries, I've read books. Like that Larry versus Magic era of basketball is the best era mm-hmm. of basketball in my in my book. Yeah. Um, what's interesting? So you mentioned Detroit, which of course, then when you said Isaiah Thomas, I knew you weren't talking about this, but. Uh Lakers in Detroit. So the Lakers had the, the three peat in the early two thousands, yeah, right? Yeah. Shaq and Kobe era. Yeah. Um and then they put that team together where they had Carl Malone and Gary Payton, and they ended up going against the Detroit Pistons. And just like you were just saying, but this is a different era, Detroit played the game differently, and the Lakers couldn't handle it. I mean it, there were other factors too, of course, but uh you know It just, it goes once again to show that you don't have to win the way that everybody else is. When you take them out of their game, like it's really easy to disrupt and be, like if you can disrupt things and be in control of that disruption, suddenly you have the upper hand. Um, it's funny you, too, you mentioned like the, the run and gun and stuff. Like look at, uh, look at, um, Houston. Yeah. With James Harden, you know? So you go back to like OKC at like this time where they have, uh, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. You just go, like, look at this team. Like, look how good these guys are. And then James Harden goes and leaves and goes to Houston. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook just can't get along. And Durant leaves and he goes to join the super team. And, uh, you know, of course, like, uh, Golden State just lost this championship. And I'm seeing people post stuff about, um, how great it was to see a team that like they home grew the championship core. Mm -hmm. But then I have a, I have a friend who he got into basketball because he taught at a college and he got into college sports. He started following professional basketball and he decided to become an Oklahoma city fan. Mm. Now this is somebody that I knew from California. He became an Oklahoma city fan when he lived in Texas and he taught at Baylor. And then he actually ended up moving to Oklahoma City, and he teaches there now. Uh, I don't know what school; I don't remember. But uh, anyway, so he, that's when he became a basketball fan. I remember when he first became a basketball fan because he was rooting for everybody but the Lakers. <laughs> like literally, like every well, everybody but the Lakers and LeBron, pretty much. Like that—that that was it, you know. But everybody, he just he loved it. He just loved basketball. So, yeah. but it, I, I used to tease him like, "You got to settle into a team so you could be miserable like the rest of us," mm-hmm. and. Finally, he settled in Oklahoma City, and ironically, Kevin Durant leaves, and he becomes miserable like the rest yeah. of us. Because he saw Kevin Durant, who he loved, do the thing that he despised and go to the team that was the super team. <laughs> and, you know, Golden State, like, of course you're going to get the players that you can get. But once they did that, and, uh, you know, they like, you sold your heart at that point. It's still like, you're, you're still, whatever, you're a dynasty. If you can get that player, do it. But you're not the same as you were before you did that,
0: Yeah,
1: you know? And it's just, I don't know. Basketball is very interesting to me right now, as much as like, as a sport, I think it's not the most interesting right now, but the dynamic of stuff that we're seeing right now, where golden state, you know, they were on the verge of a three P right here, going against the Toronto Raptors that got Kawhi Leonard from, you know, uh, San Antonio When he was with San Antonio, he stopped LeBron from three-peating. Yeah. Then he leaves San Antonio through all this, like, kind of dirtiness and, uh, you know, injury. Why isn't he playing and stuff like that? And he goes to Toronto. He becomes their superstar. And he stops, like, the other greatest player of this generation's 3 beat, Steph Curry, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players playing right now, too, but he changed teams. That kind of muddies it a little yeah. bit. But, um, like, that's just all crazy. And then you get Kevin Durant, who was hurt, missed, like, 30 days. I think it was, like, 33 days. He comes back, and he ruptures his freaking Achilles because he comes back. Yeah. So last year, Kawhi was a douchebag for not playing. But this year, Durant came back and he really shouldn't have. And, like, I mean, who knows what this is going to do the rest of his career. Then on top of that, um, Clay tears his ACL Mm -hmm. in the game that that Toronto ended up winning. Like, it's just craziness. So you have, you know, this team that was uh, doing the offensive thing. Like, you know, just offensively dominating and uh everything falls apart yeah now what are they going to be next year like th- two of the the great players on their team like Ed, even if they re-sign both those guys because i know kevin durant is going into free agency i don't know about clay um even if they re-sign both those guys they're not getting them back till halfway through the year at best and then what are they going to be when they come back so like this whole how can you ever beat these guys is dashed like
0: that yeah yeah
1: it's just crazy and then so today um i don't know if you saw this did you see the lakers
0: news today yeah you actually you told me about it. i'm like wait oh yeah I, did. I I forgot
1: i texted you so like my mind is blown from this like i've been busy as hell today because i like i worked earlier um and Saturdays are always crazy. And then I got off work and I came home and we got to get ready for our friends coming over tomorrow. So I mean, just busy, busy, busy. We go out, happen to, you know, do all the shopping and stuff. You know, my son woke up this morning sick. He's better, but he's like clearly exhausted from it. So he's being a grumpy little bastard. And, uh, you know, just like all this stuff, you know, my wife is tired from all this stuff. I'm tired, whatever, you know. So and then like we get home. And I look at my phone, and I see that the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis, and I'm just like, "Dumb god, we could we could not do this at the trade deadline, and we were offering like as much or more than we than we ended up giving for him." And of course, this trade is it's not official until I guess July 1st. Um, like this is the this is the game changer. I mean, when this trade was rumor. The Lakers suddenly went from being a joke this season that just ended yeah. to uh, the number one favorites for winning the championship next year. And it's just it's so bad. This is what's so weird about basketball right now. Like, I'm I'm a Lakers fan. That's what I am. Like, it doesn't I, I don't care how good another team is or how distasteful the Lakers could be or whatever. Like, I have my problems with the Lakers, whatever. I'm a Lakers fan. That's what I am. Yeah. You know, they're, that's my my team. Yeah. Uh, And now I'm sitting once again on the precipice of we have 16 championships, the Celtics have 17, nobody has more. And now we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We have the space to sign another max contract. Mm -hmm. And now that we have both of those guys and not just LeBron, we have the drawing power to get somebody. And like I'm sitting on the precipice of passing the Celtics for the most championships in history. Yeah. It's just crazy like how quickly stuff can change. You know, th- this team looks like an absolute disaster and I literally have been telling my dad that the Lakers either need to do it or the Buss family needs to sell the team because since Jerry Buss died, his kids, of kids, all his kids have proven is that they can't do this yeah. and they need to just get out before they ruin this great franchise. And yeah, it's it's so crazy how stuff goes. And it's funny because, like, my dad texted me, like, while we're doing this about it. So, here's here's my dad's text. Okay. I called him earlier and I told him what, what happened. So, like, he – and he was on his way to church. Um, So, he said, I'll talk to you later. So, he must have looked. And he just says, I hope Anthony was worth all they gave up. I just want one more championship before I go. Oh. So, yeah. and my dad's 65. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not, like, in his 80s. You know, he's not about ready to kick the bucket right. or anything here. But – uh my my dad's interesting because like I my root in sportsdom is from my dad. Yep. And how is that for you? Is is your root from your dad, or did you kind of
0: discover your own thing? It's my own thing. Yeah, I kind of I kind of fell into it through, uh, just just playing sports at school and you know, that kind of thing. I mean, my the the cowboy thing is we would get together every Sunday with my one or my other grandparents and the cow, if the Cowboys were playing, they were on, but they didn't really follow any other sports. So I kind of developed my love for like following baseball and basketball on my own. So for me,
1: my dad, I believe the, the Lakers were actually the first team that he loved. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so many stories around this too, like, uh, where he was in his life, his friends, stuff like that. Um, one of the stories that I love that he tells me, so he, grown up, he had a good friend, um, and uh, at this time, they were living together. I mean, he was young, too. He was basically, uh, essentially, he was supporting himself at 16 years old, um, and at some point, he's living with his friend. They're literally living in a shack. Yeah. And uh, they, it's, it's winter. They don't have heat. They're sitting in their car with the heat running with the TV on in the house, with the door open, and the radio on oh, wow. to listen to it to watch the Lakers play. really, And that is something I, w- I will never forget, just the imagery of this story. Uh, you know, what my dad grew up with and what he went through and stuff like this. But th- that's what, like, lays the roots of being the kind of fan that is never going to change. Uh, you know, my dad, he... Uh, he he roots for whoever California team is. So like if the Lakers are out of it, he'll root for the Celtics. He'll root for Golden State. Like in the the championship year, he's like, oh yeah, hopefully Golden State pre- pulls it yeah. off. And I'm like, you know, I I rooted for Golden State in other years, but this year I I don't want them to win because it's 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 old now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of story with Toronto winning that I would like. Um and essentially it just it comes down to they're not my team. Yeah. And uh but my dad like Lakers is his blood. Dodgers is his blood. He'll root for the Angels if the Dodgers are out of it, you know? He'll root for, you know, like, said so the Clippers, whatever. Football. So, football was, like, the next sport he kind of got into. Um, and he, like, he was a, a Rams fan when the Rams were in L.A. But then the Rams leave L.A., the Raiders leave L.A. And it's the 80s, and it's the 49ers, Joe Montana. So, I grew up with the Joe Montana into the Steve Young era of 49 oh, yeah. So I grew up a diehard 49ers fan and I discover that none of my family is a diehard 49ers fan. They're uh 49ers is the California team and the Rams left. That's what they are. Yeah. So, uh, it, it really is interesting how like you get some of it from your family, but then like that just sets the starting point. And then it's, it's just so much about the story that you build around it, you know? Um, hockey i got into when i moved to maine uh, a friend of mine took me to a preseason kings game the year i was moving to maine and all it took was going to see that one preseason game they were playing the ducks it's a preseason game and there were three freaking fights oh yeah and it was great and the passion was great and i started following hockey and that was the year so i was moving to maine so i decided i'm gonna follow the kings i'm gonna follow the bruins the kings won the cup i'm sorry the bruins won the cup that year The Kings won the cup the next year. The year after that, Chicago beat the Kings in the Western Conference finals and then beat the Bruins in the championship. Mm -hmm. And then the year after that, the Kings won again. So, like, I mean, my hockey fandom was just cemented and it was great. And, you know, it just it was all these circumstances. I mean, if I got into hockey that year and the Bruins didn't make it to the cup. I probably would have been a very passive hockey fan at that point, but because of how things transpired, I became a huge hockey fan and uh you know one thing i've I've always thought and all you know i I've learned this through experience and I, I strongly feel is uh you definitely get as much back as you emotionally invest in it, and it does pay to like maintain some balance with that. Um, but if you're not willing to hurt because they lose, it only means so much when they win,
0: you know that's true. That's very true. You know, you think about it. A lot of the my, you know, I don't follow sports as closely. Well, not even near as closely as I used to. I used to be really. I used to follow the Mavericks and the Cowboys and uh, all the and the Rangers and all the teams, and you know, be really invested in it. Even when my team wasn't doing good, I'd I'd follow it. You know, um, but a lot of that had to do is like the people around me were. It, I was hanging out with a bunch of guys and. And they were invested in it as the, the like shared joy or sadness over what was happening, whether it was watching wrestling or, like I said, football or basketball or, you know. And then you know, my wife, she's not that into unless it's Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. She's into it. She loves them because <laughs> it's Drew Brees. She <laughs> loves Drew Brees, so she's that's her team um we'll watch that uh, I have
1: a I have a little bit of a story about that though I'll
0: get to okay. it okay but. but yeah it's that it's that you know it's it's the drama of 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 the teams and watching the guys play and the, the skill that they're doing but they're, it's just uh, the associated like shared experience of it but it brings to mind one of the greatest movies ever made goodwill hunting where robin williams is talking to will about the time that he had tickets to go i think it was to the world uh series um, I can't remember the guy that hit the home run. He said, like, he's describing about how the guy hit the home run and it's like he just was a walk-off home run. And Will is all excited. said, Yeah, yeah, you got to see that game. He said, No, no, i, I that's the night I met my wife. I had to, I told my buddies I had to go meet a girl. And that's where he, you know, he meets his wife. Even that is part of the, the drama of the story about his life is that he gave up something so important for something else. Uh, it's just all kind of, it's just like part of the fabric of life for a lot of people. The other people don't care at all about sports, and that's fine. Um, but there is a lot of a lot of goodness in in trying to like be invested and kind of follow what's going on.
1: Yeah, the thing about the passion with sports too, like you know, people are passionate about different things, and uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of ribbing about talking about sports or even like cars yeah, like. Yeah. When uh, you know on the podcast that I've done, which the, the funniest thing to me, um, I, I'm going to tell the story in a little bit of a different way. When I when I met my current boss, uh, we had this meeting where it's basically like a get to know you meeting, and so you know he was getting to know me as a person. And I talked about sports, and I talked about comic books, and he said, you know, it's it's surprising like it's surprising to hear somebody who's really into sports and comic books because you know typically those are thought of as kind of divergent things. Um, you know, I said, you know, if, if you're really into sports, you're as big of a nerd as you are, as if you're really into comics, like there, there's no difference. That's very
0: true. It's just a different focus.
1: Yeah. It's just one, it, one was considered not so much, but I mean, like, look at now, now that comics are considered cool. It's not looked at the same way. Yeah. You know I mean? Like now you're, you're finding out, like, there's a lot of crossover of people who are into sports and comics and, you know, athletes who are into comics and whatnot, you know, and, and vice versa um it's it's basically it's the same kind of passion with it you know and the difference is with comics uh you know it's it's you're reading these stories and these characters and things with sports the story can be a freaking disaster Mm -hmm. the story can be something that's you know i mean it's not a story that's created so sometimes you get the stories that are the most wonderful things like the Bruins winning the Stanley Cup was a fantastic story. Yeah. And, you know, and this year, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup was a fantastic story. And I'm a Bruins fan, and I hate that goddamn story because I wanted the Bruins to win. And I, did, I didn't care that there was this great story and that there was you know, this, um, you know, this young girl who was uh, a fan with an illness that was brought into the team and is a big part of it. And they've never won a Stanley Cup and their goalie is a rookie. And he set a record for wins in the playoffs by a goalie. And like so many wonderful stories occurred. But for me, for for my story, it sucked, you know, a bit, but I can still like as a uh, just a, a lover of sports, I can still appreciate the story that was there, you know, uh, but sports is like a story that we're not in control of. But the only way you appreciate the story is if you invest in it. And you know, it's the same thing with with comics. Like if you, if you don't give a damn about any Marvel superheroes and you pick up a Marvel comic event, you're going to be like, this is a load of crap. Why did I waste all this money? But if you are fully invested, you pick up a Marvel event then you're going to get anything you can out of it, you know, and you still could end up disappointed. Just like, you know, I I got fully invested in the Bruins playoffs run this year. Yeah. And I mean, like, like Chara, I, I was surprised Chara is still playing, honestly, because I haven't followed hockey as closely for a few years because I haven't had cable and Chara's is 42 years old. still playing hockey he has been playing hockey for Dang. over 20 years. And, you know, I, I start watching closely again. I'm like, holy shit, like Chara is still there. And uh, you know, a lot of other guys are still there, and a lot of guys have changed. I am getting all invested in it. I, I get so invested, I am getting myself all built up, and they lose. Hmm. You know, and that happens sometimes. Yeah, but you are never you are not going to get the joy out of winning unless you invest in, in how much losing can hurt. Um, two two baseball seasons ago, so the, the Dodgers have been in the real Series the last two years, and they lost both years. Last year, they went up against the Red Sox, who were far and away the better team. Uh, So, them losing that series was frustrating because they could still pull it off, but they didn't, you know. But the year before, man, against the Houston Astros, they were probably, possibly the better team, at least very closely matched. I mean, obviously, it went to Game 7. And there's so many things, you know, I mean, the choices they made and who they pitched made the decision, and on top of that, the year, like when that was going on, there was a big storm up here that uh, destroyed my roof. Mm. And not only that, but um, the big storm knocked power out of the area for multiple days at minimum, and for some people even longer. So we didn't have power for days. We were running without power for days. My roof was destroyed. I was afraid of the cost that, that would incur. Um my job was insanely busy because all these people didn't have power and we were a place for them to go to to get a reprieve from how difficult it was to be at home. Yeah. And it just, everything was so hard. And then on top of that, at that time, I watched the Dodgers go through a seven game series and lose. And god damn, that was painful. Yeah. It's all the circumstances, but with all that investment, if they would have won, it would have been something euphoric that I would have never in my life forgotten. Yeah. It would have been like when the the Lakers beat the Celtics in 2010. I will never forget that feeling. I will never forget. I went to my dad's house to watch game seven, and the game was just so stressful, and the Lakers just seemed to be struggling so much. And my dad, he's the type that he, if things aren't going well, he gripes. He gripes about the game, you know, yeah, the,
0: yeah. you know,
1: blah blah blah. This and that. You know, that's whatever, like that. That's he's, he's he's an old man now. Whatever, you know, that's what people do. Um, so I'm there watching it with him. I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't even come over to watch it. This is just so painful. And right at the end of the game, it gets closer and closer, and then they get ahead a little bit. And they pull it out and they win the championship. And I was so glad that I went to my dad's to watch that game at that point. And I remember driving home this is when we lived in California, still driving home and just feeling euphoric, like windows down and everybody just is euphoric celebrating. Like you just pass another car, you stop at a stoplight and you're just cheering together. And like, that's an experience I'll never have again. Cause I don't live in the right place for it yeah. now, you know? Um, I mean, I could share that with the Bruins, but I can't share that with any of my other teams because I'm in the wrong place. And uh, it's, just, it's something amazing, you know, and that's why is so as somebody who like, I mean, we're doing this podcast, this podcast all started from us being comic fans yeah. for me doing another podcast, us getting to know each other, blah, blah, blah. You know, so my relationship with podcasting has always been centered around comics, but Like, honestly, sports is a bigger part of who I am as a person than comics is. And it's always been frustrating to have uh, that aspect just be, you know, be mocked. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, even the, you know, obviously, like, you know, everybody I've done a podcast with is a fan of some team or whatever, but um, I can't just be my, you know, in the past, I couldn't just be myself. Yeah you know yeah. and it just it seems so silly to me too like you we were we're all doing these kind of silly things because we're passionate and why would you squash somebody else's passion just because he, he, it's not your interest mhm listen to what they have to say like appreciate that they care about it you know instead of yeah I mean like for me I listen to somebody uh, we have friends uh you know like Jay and Dennis jump to mind they're big uh well, Dennis is a huge collector mm-hmm. They're both Batman fans. Jay is a huge Batman fan. They talk about these, like, intricacies to collecting Batman. I don't give, like, half a damn about that because, like, I like Batman. Fine. I don't collect Batman, and I don't collect comics to that extent. And so I get kind of lost in that. But you know what? The thing is, is listening to their passion with it is is awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well said, sir. Yeah, I feel like I've been rambling too long, so I'm trying to stop talking to you. Tom. No, you're good. You, you I think yeah. we covered the gamut. I wanted to bring up one thing, and you might not remember this. You want to talk about the drama of sports? This is going to be when you were really young. Uh, Hank Gathers. if you recall, I've been talking about sports that existed before I, I was born. So this we're, is we're a, pretty good. We're in safe a, territory. NCAA yeah. eighty nine ninety. <laughs> Uh, lo- okay, there you just lost right. me because it's college. That's right. Never well, that's right. But the, but the story's important because I remember being drawn into it, and everybody that was following uh, college basketball at the time was uh, Loyola Marymount. Um, I think it was the '89 season. This guy named Hank Gathers. Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball played on this team. Gathers died in a game of a heart condition. He led the nation in scoring and rebounding. Uh, NCAA Division One basketball in eighty nine. I think he died in the game uh, in December. Uh, Kimball went on the next year to lead the nation in scoring. Scoring like he scored fifty points a game on commonly. I think he scored like thirty average, like thirty five. Which in college that's a lot of points. Um, but after Gather's died, they went on this run. They were like an eleven seed in the tournament. They made it to the final eight. And in the first three games, uh Gathers was a left handed player. And they were not expected to get far, but they just went on a run in his honor. And like Bo Kimball was, he had no career in the NBA at all, hardly. But he dominated. And it was all fueled by this, like, trying to honor this, their fallen, the friend that had died on the court. Um, He was a – Kimball wasn't a very good free-throw shooter at all. But the first three games, he shot his first free-throw of every game left-handed. And he made every single one of them, you know. And it's just this – there's this – following this team that wasn't supposed to do well, fueled by this fire to just keep going, Uh, that's one of those things. It's like one of those things – you're talking about passion and the drama of following teams and the good story – you know, that was a good story um, about, you know, trying to honor a, a guy that was on their team. And they, they came so close. They ended up getting beat by UNLV, who won the championship that year. So that's how close they came to actually, you know, going all the way. And no one thought they had a shot. So. Yeah, passion
1: goes a long way.
0: I think I'm about to have to wrap it up, buddy. Yes. Sounds good.
1: Well, okay. So let's wrap this up. Um, <laughs> so I, I was going to mention something else. Uh, I, I had mentioned I sold a basketball card collection.
0: Yeah.
1: I was going to talk about what I purchased with it. I'll save that for next time. I actually have the book sitting right behind me, part of what I purchased with it. but So I got a little bit to save back for next time. A little more comic talk. Uh, something I'm, I'm excited about uh, sharing about a little bit. Awesome. Um, but yeah. What well, we'll call it a night for tonight. Tomorrow is Father's Day. It's getting late here. Slightly less late where you are, but late nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I hope you all enjoyed this uh, this wonderful pre-Father's Day talk that we had. Uh, we'll actually probably get this released. Uh, I mean, God, you'd waste no time, so we'll probably have this released on Father's yeah, Day. we'll see. If not that fairly close, we'll see. Yeah. You know? I mean, maybe you should take it easy tonight, you know. Father the podcast and all. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Nonetheless, uh, I'm glad to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, I, you know, I shared my enthusiasm for my plans for tomorrow because I'm sharing Father's Day with a, a, a friends that I feel like are family, and um, I'm I'm honored to share Father's Day Eve with you, uh, somebody who uh, you and I have shared a lot with each other, um, relating as fathers. I am too, man. Um, which means much more than, um, obviously like relating with our interests of comics and whatever else is important, but being able to relate to you as a parent, um, as it's been a lot, I mean, you've shared it to it, to both of us, it's been a lot. So, um, that's a big part of this podcast, you know, we're, we're a couple of, uh, of podcast poppers here and, you know, we have very important things in our lives that being able to share, uh, those things with each other is important. So anyways, have a good night. Check out uh, the other podcast on our uh, our slowly burgeoning, uh, ever growing podcast network. So you can find me on Twitter at Who's Paul. You can find Sparky on Twitter at MD Sparkman. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, check out what else we have coming up. Uh, we're we're working on slowly uh, growing our resources here, and we'll have a, a website and uh, you know possibly some other podcasts going on at some point soon. So um, keep checking us out. To all of you, good night. Enjoy your Father's Day, uh, in whatever regards it applies to you. And if you don't have any, uh, any reason to enjoy Father's Day, then, you know, enjoy, uh, the Lakers are gonna win a couple more championships now It's this wonderful trade.
0: News. Enjoy something. We'll talk to you next time. Adios. That wasn't terrible. That was pathetic.
1: Boom.